Uh, welcome to the Staying In Podcast, episode one. I am Jamie James, casually explained, and uh, in this episode, obviously, I'm going to be talking about uh, what to expect from not only this episode, but future episodes of this podcast, uh, what I'm trying to accomplish with it in terms of the type of content that's going to be showing up. And in this particular episode, I wanted to focus on a little bit uh, about one of my favorite subjects, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> which is as weird as <laughs> weird as it is to uh, is to say. I thought it might be uh, a good first topic to approach uh, because I, I imagine a lot of people on YouTube have seen the videos I've made, but no one knows too much about me. And so I wanted to uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about some of my history, some of my bio, and how I eventually got into. Uh, making YouTube videos and doing all this type of uh, type of stuff that we're doing now. So I'm just going to turn the music down a little bit. I didn't realize how loud that was there. And uh, okay, so first of all, the uh, Staying In podcast is going to be live on Twitch TV at Casually Explained um, at 7 p.m. Uh, on Thursdays. And uh, it's also going to be uploaded to the, it's currently known as the Super Secret Future Channel on uh on youtube but uh it'll just be uh maybe renamed uh once uh, this gets uploaded and so the purpose of the podcast is i want it to be a bit of a companion to another show that i'm going to be uh, hopefully starting very soon uh called what makes it sorry 7 p.m pacific <laughs> i see the chat on it 7 p.m pacific and uh i want it to be a bit of a companion to a um another show that i want to start doing on tuesdays at 7 p.m pacific and uh, that show is going to be called What Makes It Good. And in that, <clears throat> in that show, I want to be doing a sort of a maybe one 1.5 hour um, live show that uh, takes a look at different online content creators uh, and takes a kind of a dive into what makes their content successful, what makes it good, what makes it different than other people, you know, on YouTube or whatever it may be. And then in an ideal world, you know, imagine, imagine this, <laughs> imagine Phil DeFranco, imagine Bill Wirtz, what makes it good? And then uh, during the staying in podcast, we can get them on as a special guest. And uh, is that going to happen? Who, who knows? So there's definitely going to be a few episodes where I'm going to be uh, the, uh, I'm going to be manning the helm. I'm just going to be here by myself talking about various subjects, whatever the title may be. And we're going to be um, structuring in a way where in the beginning, have a bit of a chat, introduce the topic, and then uh, we'll <clears throat> take some questions from the Casually Explained Discord, uh, which you can find in the Twitch chat if you're interested. And then after that, we're going to go into some live Q&A directly from the chat um, from people who are listening in, uh, listening in live. And each episode, I would imagine, for the podcast or uh, What Makes It Good would last roughly an hour, hour and a half. Uh, but you never know. We'll see how it develops. And as usual, if anything goes wrong, <laughs> thankfully in the VOD, I can just edit it out or just not upload it at all. So <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Um, all right. So let me see. Has that uh, has that covered most of the ground of what this is going to be? I think it has. So all right. I'll just awkwardly transition into the... Um, the start of what I wanted to talk about, which um, is a bit of my history, a bit of where I where I came from, where I've been, and where I'm going. <laughs> and then, uh, anyway, just a bit of my history and how I ended up getting to uh, the, 
you know where where I am now. I guess making making some YouTube videos of all of all of all things. So uh, many years ago, when I was born, <laughs> I was born in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, over here on the west coast. I say over here because I'm living here now. But uh, when I was about five years old, um, I went with my mom to live in in uh, <laughs> to live in Australia, and we lived in a place called Hobart, Tasmania. And uh, that's a little island underneath. If you're not familiar with your Australian geography, that's where I was. And uh, I lived there from when I was five to uh, when I was, man, would it be 12? I think I just turned 12 when I came back. And so I went to elementary school there. Over there, we call it primary school, in case you ever run across that at some point in your life. And uh, when I came back, I got put into grade six. Um, just to be clear, I went over there, came back to uh, Canada when I was 12 to see my dad and, you know, uh, live here. And so I got put into grade six. And the thing that I was super stoked about was uh, in Australia, you have an extra grade. You have a grade between kindergarten and grade one called prep. It's just a bonus grade. They throw it in there. That's it. So I was excited because I got to skip forward six months compared to what my friends had to do in Australia. Um, but, you know, like I was like, in hindsight, that's that's pretty fucking decent. But uh, it turns out the real reason why I was excited is because Super Smash Brothers Brawl had already come out in Canada, but it would be another six months until it came out in Australia because, you know, it takes a while to you know, ship the discs over there or whatever it might be. So anyway, I came back and uh, this is where you've seen the pictures. You've seen, well, the, not, not the actual pictures, but the pictures that I've drawn of myself in, uh, in middle school. Where uh, you know I got the I got the Skechers I got the <laughs> I got the Skechers I'm rocking the Skechers, and uh, w which will continue into high school. I will continue rocking the Skechers into high school. Uh, I have my colorful green sweatpants, and I have my uh, skull shirts that uh, you know kind of completes the look. Was <laughs> Honestly, I was fucking I was kind of fat too. I was really like I was really on one in middle school. So I came back from Australia, and uh, you know I'm 12 or whatever. In grade six, I know one person. I know one person who's my friend, and uh, I knew him since I was born. Like literally, he was born four days before me. I, it's good because my birthday's in a week, so I just remembered it's his birthday. Uh, he was born four days before me. We're in hospital together, and uh, <laughs> you know, so we're hanging out. We're hanging out in our literal cribs, and uh, so I knew him when I came back. So that was it. But besides that, I'm you know I got my I got my sweatpants, I got my skull shirt, I got my NASA fanny pack, which I thankfully I didn't wear, but now I would wear it because it's pretty sick. And uh, so I wasn't the coolest wasn't the coolest kid around of all time. But here's the thing: uh, grade six was not a great year. I I dropped into the last two months when I came back to Canada, and uh, last two months of grade six. So I just struggled through that. That sucked. But in grade 7 and grade 8, I got put in some better classes. I uh, started to meet um, some new people, some new friends. And one of those people was uh, Sam, my friend Sam. Uh, if he ever shows up in the chat, his name is uh, Defrep. So you can say uh, say hello to him. Still really, really, really good friends with him. And uh, let's see, where, where was I going to go with this? Oh, that's right. So, you know, I'm starting to make some new friends. Grade 7, grade 8, not too bad. Making some new friends. And here's the thing that really steps it up. I uh, I started to pick up some hobbies, you know, some some hobbies that I'd be like, you know what, 
people are going to think this is pretty fucking cool. And so uh, what did I decide to pick up? Of course, pencil spinning and Rubik's cubing. All right. So, all right. So (laughs) keep (laughs) everyone, just keep your fucking pants on. All right. Keep your fucking pants on. So here's the deal. Um, Again, keep in mind, you got to have this visual. You got to have the visual. You have the outfit. You have the attitude. You have a guy with a, hi, my name's Jamie. I'm here to show you guys how to solve Rubik's Cube and spin a pencil around your thumb. (laughs) And now, honestly, who can resist that? So as a bit of a side note, um, I don't have much more to this story, but the side note is I made a YouTube video way back then. um, And I don't know if someone's going to find this, but the very introduction is like, hi, um, today I'm going to be teaching you how to um, spin a pencil around your thumb. And this trick is called... The thumb around. Again, because you're spinning a pencil around your thumb. And <laughs> Deadass, this video, now has over 110,000 views. <laughs> so I was fucking on one even back then. It took like 10 years to accumulate those, but uh, you know, I got there. So then I did pencil spinning. I did Rubik's Cubing. And um, uh, Rubik's Cube... Here's the thing. Like, this is going to sound crazy dumb, because it is, but... Uh, I think my, like, the way that Rubik's Cubing works is, uh, you know, you kind of intuitively solve the first two layers. And then for the final layer, you have to memorize some algorithms. And uh, so I kind of got into this. I was really, I was really like the idea that everything could just be solved. Like, you know, you could just memorize some stuff, practice a bit. And then uh, you someone in the chat's mentioning cup stacking. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't far off from trying that. I actually tried uh, dice stacking, if you ever seen that. But... Uh, um, at any rate, so I got into Rubik's Cubing. I eventually got a pretty decent time. You know, I, I, my, my personal best was uh, 23 seconds, I think, 22, 23 seconds. And at the time, that's like a pretty decent solve, especially uh, if you're, um, I was going to say, like, <laughs> I was going to make fun of myself for being like a dumb kid. But I'm, I got to say all the other, like the people of the world record were just like, you know, like a, <laughs> some some 13-year-old kid who also didn't have friends. It was the same situation. So at any rate, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, from grade six, since I moved back to Canada, every single year got uh, got better and better for me. You know, I kind of started figuring out, um, you know, how puberty worked. You know, my, Not only did I lose my accent, my voice also changed a little bit. So, you know, I had that going for me. And uh, after I did those little dumb, um, dumb little hobbies, I got into uh, photography. And so the thing that I loved about photography was that in terms of actual, like you imagine it like this, like if you're learning drawing, you have to be, you need a very high level of mechanical skill. You need to, you need to practice all the shapes. You need to learn how to, you know, hold the pencil, use the pencil. Like, Hey, how do you shade this in? I don't know. I'm just gonna have to do it like 5,000 times till I figure it out with photography. Ultimately, if someone knew what they were doing and they set the camera up for you and, uh, <laughs> yo, yo, fucking someone linking the pencil spinning vid. Let's see if it's right. See if someone got the right one. Uh, at any rate, uh, uh, the thing that the photography is really cool is um, if you get someone who's a professional photographer to set the photo up for you and you just press the shutter button, you've now taken a world-class photo. So in a way, it's like you don't need as much mechanical skill. What you need is like a bunch of knowledge. You need to actually understand how the lenses work, how the exposure works, uh, how 
composition and framing works. And then the <laughs> thanks to Raptor. And uh, the big thing is actually being able to find, uh, go and find pictures and find locations and put yourself in a situation where you can take a photo that no one else has ever taken before. And <clears throat> I thought that was really cool. I thought that it was really neat that there's not really a mechanical difficulty. It was more like, okay, you just need a decent camera. You need to know how the focal lengths work, all this type of stuff. So I got really into that. I took a bunch of photos. I, I, at least for like my age, I guess I was, I feel like I was pretty good at it, had a good understanding of it. And I eventually got to this point where maybe I'll, you know, maybe I can find the photos and link some of them at some point. But, uh, I feel like I was like, oh yeah, you know, I really have a good grasp of composition, good grasp of how exposure works. I have a good grasp of focal length and how to use different lenses and all that type of thing. Um, and I sort of did a bit of filmmaking, started to learn how to use After Effects um, and different editing software. And uh, I kind of got to this point where I was like, you know what? Because I had this idea, you know, because I was like 13, you know, and I was thinking, man, I'd love to be a National Geographic photographer. I want to just like go take the most amazing photos of all time. And really what I found out was the people who are National Geographic photographers and like world-class photographers, like the, the difference is not how well you can frame the photo. It's not your understanding of exposure. It's not your equipment because all of these guys have the, have the best of all of those things. All that stuff is actually not that hard. What they do is like you look at some of these documentaries and it's like, hey, you want to get this little picture of these eagles who live up in the, you know, northern parts of North America where it's frigid cold. And it's like you have to camp out in a little tent that looks like a bush for two weeks, hoping, praying that you're going to see these eagles sh show up and they're going to fall into your lens or the, this bait that you put. And what I realized was like, I didn't want to do all that shit. <laughs> that was way too fucking hard. So then I was like, okay, photography's not for me. I'm done. I'm going to move on. So interestingly enough, right around that time, I think I was 13. I, I think I just turned 14, a little bit after I turned 14. Guess what happened to come out? Of course, you guessed it for anyone who's uh, been in the Twitch stream for a while. It's StarCraft 2. StarCraft 2 comes out... Uh, I am very excited because I never played StarCraft 1. I was a little bit too young for it um, in general. But I fell in love with the idea of uh, StarCraft 2. Because to me, it was like fast-paced, fast a level of mechanical skill. But it was like chess. You know, it was a strategy game. You need to figure out the strategy. You execute the strategy. And then you win and you become <laughs> the best player in the world. And uh, I thought it was amazing. So when StarCraft 2 came out, I must have been... Well, because the beta came out before the actual game. But I watched people play the beta four hours a day, five hours a day, as much as I could possibly absorb. And when the game came out, uh, I was... Oh my god, I was so stoked. I played that game, no joke, six hours a day. I would come home from school. I'd get home from school like 3.45. I'd just play and watch streams for six hours and go to sleep at like, you know, do the homework I had to do for an hour and then go to sleep at like 11, 11, 30, 12. And I just lived and breathed that game for a solid, solid year. And uh, when <laughs> someone in the chat's like, Jesus, you're a nerd. Yeah, yo, it's just beginning. We're just starting. 
And so my story with that is because it was honestly, there's never been something that I tried so hard to be good at. And uh, when I, uh, let me let me think, when I started, I remember playing, because when you start the game and you start playing online against other people, um, you play five placement matches. And so you play five placement matches, it puts you in a league. And the leagues at the time were bronze, silver, uh, gold, and platinum. There was four leagues, I, I, I believe. There might have been diamond as well, uh, which makes their five. I think there was diamond, um, but you couldn't get placed into it. You could only get placed into platinum and then move your way up. I think that's right. I'm not exactly sure. Um, so anyway, in my first five games, I won four of them. I got put in platinum. And uh, I was... I was like, holy shit. All right. All right. Top 40%. <laughs> top 40%. Let's go. All right. I'm a gamer. I'm, I'm gaming out here. And uh, I just put in more time. And then very quickly, I got the diamond. I was in that top 20%. And then they introduced uh, Masters League. And uh, hang on a sec. Let me just uh, drop in. Let me just uh, make sure there's a bit of... I want to check the... Uh... Background music, sorry, one sec, real quick. Actually, it's probably better I don't, just for the uh, the copyright situation. But anyway. Uh, so, uh, they introduced Masters League, and Masters League was top 2%. So, top 2%, you know, that's pretty, it's pretty decent, it's pretty decent. It came out, boom, got put in it right away. And I was like, oh my god, you know, I'm, I'm gaming out here. I'm playing, whew. Let's, let's, let's go, let's go. Meanwhile, uh, I... <laughs> All my friends are like, hey, do you want to come hang out and do this activity? I don't even know what people do because I didn't even know what activities happened in high school because I just didn't do any of them. I just played StarCraft. You know, my mom was like, I hope my son is all right. <laughs> He's just playing that video game all day. At any rate, I was like, all right, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm playing. I'm playing. Okay, so top 2%, that's pretty solid. Then they introduced a new thing. This new thing was uh, Grandmaster League. Grand Master League. So Grand Master League was top 200 in the in the server. So the servers were like North America, Asia. <laughs> there's Asia, and then there's Korea. Korea has its own fucking server, obviously. Uh, and then South America. And uh, South America very quickly got merged with North America because South American players were trash at the game. No offense, but they but they were. <laughs> and so. Uh, <laughs> Small region, small region, you know, in terms of player base. So anyway, it was a North America and South America server. So it was the top 200 in North America and South America. It was just called the Americas. And I made this my goal. It was like my life fucking goal. At, like, I was like 14, but I was like, it, was my, it was my life goal to make it into the top 200 of uh, these these servers. So Or this server. And so again, I was just playing six hours a day at least reading as much as I can, watching strategy, watching pro players, and uh, just grinding the ladder and just playing all the time. And then just just randomly, like serendipitously, just through just grinding it out constantly, it was like, hey, guess what, kid? <laughs> Good job you have this because you don't have much else. Yo, you're top 200 in, in the Americas. And I was like, holy shit. I fucking made it. I'm there. I'm. I'm. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. I've done something at least. And so I was in. I was in the grandmaster, the grandmaster ranking. And I was like, this is like the most important thing that I've ever done. And I was like, hey, hey, dad, I have made it into StarCraft to 
grandmasters. And he was like, oh, that's great. And I was like, no, dad, you don't understand. Do you understand how important this is? And he's like, oh, no, I don't understand at all. And I was like, well, let, let me explain. And then I was like explaining all these, like how I did it, how I beat this guy with my <laughs> with my two base, uh, two base <laughs> robo four gate <laughs> strategy that I stole from someone in the GSL. And uh, he's like, oh, that's good for you, kid. And uh, that was good. And uh, but then I was like, well, what do I do now? Okay, well, I'm in I'm in the top 200. That's that's pretty good. That's what I thought. I thought I was doing a great job. And I thought, okay, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing I can do? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best in the world. And okay, yeah, rookie mistake. Uh, in hindsight, rookie mistake. However, I was like, I'm going to be the I'm going to be the highest ranking person on this ladder. And so, I'm going to skip all the failure and just go to this point. This was the peak moment possibly in my life. This is this is the moment I I just peaked in general was uh I So there's a guy named Huck, a guy named Liquid Huck, and he was a North American and he was living in Korea at the time to compete in the GSL and he was going to be one of the foreigners in StarCraft when you say foreigner, it actually means non-Korean. <laughs> so, anyway, he uh he uh was living in Korea playing in the GSL and uh but while he was training he was playing on North America server cuz he didn't want everyone, you know, everyone he was going to be playing against, you know, stealing his strats and like seeing his gameplay and all that type of stuff. So he's playing on the North America server. And so I was there obviously trying to stream snipe him, <laughs> which means when he queues up for a game, I queue up for a game so you can play together. And uh so I queue up for a game, he queues up for a game, and it's like, it's pretty bad manner to watch the stream while you're playing him, obviously, but uh, to, to queue up at the same time was pretty common. So I queued up at the same time, and I didn't get him. I got a guy named Startail Bomber. If anyone's familiar, if you don't know StarCraft, this is, I'm sorry, this is very weird, but uh, I got a guy named, named uh, Startail Bomber, and he was one of the best, um, one of the best Terran players at the time. He's Korean as well, but he was trying to stream snipe Huck. And uh, so we played. And as soon as the game started, I was like, holy fuck, I'm playing Bomber, dude. This guy's this guy's a fucking legend. This guy's incredibly good. I, I'm going to have to bring my fucking A game, dude. I'm ready to go. So the game starts. I split my probes and he leaves the game. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I fucking got him, dude. <laughs> fucking out mentally outplayed him. So I queue up because obviously he's trying to stream snipe Huck, right? So he's trying to he just leaves the game. He doesn't care. So he... Uh, so he leaves. I get like a fuck ton of ladder points because he's so high rated. And then we queue up again because I'm trying to stream snipe Huck. He's trying to st stream snipe Huck. And uh, we queue up again. We both hit each other. We don't hit Huck. We, I, I hit Startail Bomber again. Game starts. He leaves. Dude, I get those ladder points. I t I'm taking those ladder points. So so easy, easy dubs, dude. Easy dubs. Uh, beat him twice. Honestly, played him. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beat him twice. So there you go. And then, uh, so I, so the game, the game ends, right? And, uh, I, uh, we all, we both try to stream snipe Huck for a third time. Guess who gets Huck? Not him. I get him because now my ladder points are hella high. <laughs> so I match up with Huck and it's PVP, right? Protoss versus Protoss. We both play the same race. And, uh, he was experimenting with this new, um, uh, four gate strategy, which is one where you build a, a pylon on the low ground, you rush a zealot in, and you warp zealots in on the high ground, and then you just go kill him. 
And this was a strategy that I tried five trillion times because I was like, I hate this strategy. I hate when people rush me. I like playing macro games. This pisses me the fuck off. So I had this at the time. I had this strategy that I did that was really suboptimal, but it it, it was like very rock, paper, scissors, scissors, Z. So I, I'd go and, you know, go and scout with the zealot and the stalker. And if I would see the probe come back, his scouting probe come back, I would make my zealot and stalker hold position on the ramp so nothing could come up. And so I got really lucky because he was rushing. He couldn't get his zealots up. I miss micro because I'm an idiot. He gets his zealot up, but somehow I managed to hold off this rush. I make blink stalkers go and kill him. He says GG. He was number one on the ladder. Fucking beat him, dude. Fucking beat him, bro. Fuck, there it is. You know what? You know what happened later? About six months ago, Huck sent me a message unrelated. He has no idea who I am. And he's like, hey, man, really like your videos. And I was like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> fucking, fucking 2-0. Me versus Huck, 2-0 in life. There it is. <laughs> anyway, he's he, he I got massively lucky I won that game. So at that point, after getting those, uh, getting those sweet, juicy ladder points, I was 8th. In the North and South America servers. I was ranked 8th. And I was like, holy shit, I'm at 8th. I'm going to queue up for another game because maybe I can get to number 1. I queue up for another game. I get Startail Bomber (laughs) a third time. He's like, good luck, have fun. And he just plays the game out. Fucking absolutely destroys the shit out of me. I have never felt so outclassed in my entire life. It was not even fucking close. I got so destroyed that I was like, I'm quitting this game. And I did. (laughs) I did. So, all right. So good segue because what happens to all washed up StarCraft 2 pros? They switch from StarCraft to poker. So, you know, this is right when Heart of the Swarm was coming out too, and I was like, I don't want to learn a new game. I, I it's kind of dying because all the uh, all the Koreans who used to play StarCraft One, uh, their contracts expired, so they were switching over to StarCraft Two, and I was like, well, a new game's coming out, an expansion with new units and stuff, and all the Koreans are playing. I'm done. So I I, I got the fuck out of there, and uh, I did what a lot of StarCraft uh, professionals did, which is switch to online poker. So the thing with online poker is that it's um it's a here's the idea. If you're good at online strategy games like StarCraft, you're going to be good at poker because poker is a strategy game. A lot of people think erroneously that uh <clears throat> poker is a game of uh reading people. And it's like it's not. That's a tactic. People think that poker is a game of math. And it's like, yeah, it is sort of a game of math fundamentally, but that's more of a tactic that you use. Fundamentally, poker is a strategy game. So if you are, if you have your fucking math PhD and no common sense, you're going to lose all your money. If you think you know how to read, you know, Uncle Jim, who, uh, Uncle Jim, who always, who only bets when he has the nuts and, uh, you know, you think you know how to read people, you're going to lose all your money. What you need is strategy. So anyway, I got into poker and, uh, I deposited, Eleven dollars. Keep in mind, I'm fifteen, right? <laughs> and you're like, "Hey, should you? Uh, hey, are you allowed to play poker when you're 15? Hey, you know, <laughs> there's no laws in Canada. So anyway, uh, I deposited eleven dollars, and I lost it right away. And then I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta straighten myself up." I thought this was gonna be easy. 
after all, I'm the eighth best StarCraft player. <laughs> eighth best StarCraft player in North America should be easy, right? So anyway, uh, I deposited another $11. And that was it. I never deposited any more money. I just played with that and built it up over time. So in poker, uh, you start off playing low stakes. You play two no limit, um, which is $2 on the table. Then you move up to five no limit, $5 on the table. Then 10 25 50 100 200 and so on so on so on and uh so i uh and here's the thing like each subsequent level people get better and better the strategy gets you know more and more nuanced people get in general they get better and so the thing that i found interesting was the style that i played uh was there's two ways that you can play poker really so um i mean there's tournaments and cash games which are different. So cash games, you just sit on the table with money and you win and lose money. Uh, Tournaments are when you buy chips and then you play to try to win a prize for a placement. But I only played cash games, but there's two ways you can play cash games. And so you can play cash games. um, uh, You can play cash games by playing for high stakes, but you only play one or two tables and you only play with people you know. And so the way that you make money is by A playing with people who are worse than you, but they think they're better than you, or B, um, following around people who are like rich businessmen who are just playing for fun, and you basically just take their money. So that's where most professional poker players, like when you watch televised poker, televised cash games, uh, what you see is uh, people who are playing these um, high-stakes games with people they know, and they think they're going to make money because they have an edge over other people, and those people don't have an edge over them, but they think they do. So that's where those high stakes game comes in. The The way that I played was because I was more of a, you know, quote unquote strategy person was uh, what's called um, uh, rake back grinding. And rake back grinding is uh, basically also known as mass multi-tabling where you would play 24 games, like usually around 24 tables of poker at the same time. Um, I actually transitioned to playing what's called Zoom. And Zoom is a type of poker where uh, as soon as you fold your hand, you're moved to a new table and you're dealt a new hand. So you can just crank those things in, like crank them out really fast. I think at some point I was like, four tables of Zoom is roughly 1,200 hands an hour, uh, which is like, it sounds weird. Like it sounds like, how is this even possible? But it becomes so mechanical that it's just like, you know, you're just pressing buttons, right? So I was playing, you know, 1,200 hands an hour <laughs> of fucking poker. And uh, the way it works for the rakeback grinding is the company who runs the um, poker tables takes a percentage of every pot. So <laughs> a few people in chat are a little bit lost. At, at any rate, the theme is this. Um, one way of playing is uh, you can play against a, a table of players that you know really well get really good reads, really good history, play them that way. The other way is playing against random opponents you pay no attention to, you play an optimal game, uh, and you try to win a little bit, but really what you're doing is uh, you make a bunch of money for the company, and then uh, they give you some money back for being a frequent player. So you can imagine it, if the house is taking 2% of every pot, and you've made the... If you've made the company like $100,000 because you've played... I think when I stopped playing, I I played 1.5 million hands of poker. 
because you've made the company a million dollars. Well, that's not true. Like, say you make the company like fifty thousand uh, dollars, they'll give you back like twenty five thousand for being one of their most frequent players. Um, so, on, it, I played on Poker Stars because I'm Canadian, and uh, so I, there's different ranks you can get, and you get a certain amount of money back for different things. And so there's uh, the highest rank is called Supernova Elite. And that's what I was trying to go for because all the StarCraft pros <laughs> were supernova elite, a supernova elite, like a guy named Elki, if you ever heard of him. And it's so ins- there's like 200 people who are supernova elite at the time, and I was one rank below that. I was supernova, which is still pretty fucking good in terms of that type of shit. And uh, so I was like, yeah, you know what? This year I'm going to go for supernova elite. And then I realized just how incredibly like the insane amount of uh, volume you had to do to get there. And the thing with poker that's frustrating is the ups and downs are just so insane where it's like you can make every single right decision. You can make every decision correctly and still lose money. And you start thinking like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the point of this? Like, there's a thing called expected value which is if everything went mathematically correctly, how much money would you have made? And then sometimes it's like, hey, you should have made $1,000 today. And then you actually end up losing like $2,000. And you're like, this is fucking stupid. Like you can imagine going to your nine to five. And uh, at the end of the day, you're like, man, I did a great job today. And your boss is like, I'm taking $2,000 from your pension. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck? Are you fucking serious? So that's what happens. Incredibly emotionally stressful very draining and uh at a certain point what i eventually realized was like holy shit i was playing a game and you have uh these things called poker trackers and everyone has them at a certain level where it basically records all the hands that you played with someone and gives you stats it's kind of like if you had a notepad and pen writing down everyone's plays and then aggregated that data and so um, the thing that would happen is you would be playing against these different people that you see all the time. And, like, you know, you see this guy's won $50 off you. This guy's won $100 off of you. This guy's won $500 off you, but you've won, you know, $700 off this guy. And then you'd see people who have just lost just, just in the hands that you've seen, like $10,000. Um, and you'd be like, holy shit, this guy's lost $10,000. Like, not just, not to you, but just in all the hands that you've watched and to you. And you'd be thinking, holy shit, this person has clearly lost over $50,000 playing this game. This is absolutely insane. Like, are they okay? Like, you just hope they're a rich business dude who likes, you know, blowing money on poker or something. But what I eventually realized was like, you know, poker in a sense is a zero-sum game. It is literally a zero-sum game where it's like, you can never make money unless someone else loses money. Um, and I just realized like, man, this sucks. Like, am I going to like, is this really something that I want to do for, you know, a job? Do I want to be, do, do, would I even want to be good at this? Cause you can't make money unless you take it from someone else, you know? And it you're not producing anything. You're not adding anything to the world. And I was like, shit, that's kind of bad. So then I kind of, you know, I kind of stopped and, uh, just a couple of people are asking about the poker tracker. The, the poker trackers are not at all illegal. Um, they're or, or against terms of service. At a certain level, every single person uses a poker tracker. What they are is like imagining just writing down notes of like, 
hey, how many times out of 100 did a person open a hand, you know? Oh, 20% of the time, that means they're opening 20% of their range. And that lets you understand what cards people might have and that type of stuff. Um, it is, it, it's very helpful, and like everyone uses one, but it's, uh, it's not like you get access to stuff that you wouldn't have known by remembering really well. Um, at any rate, so I decided to quit poker, um, even though I think it's a, an amazing game. You know, it's a really, really cool game. It's very, you know, it's, it's like StarCraft in a way, but it's even more, uh, there's more consequences. You know, it's kind of cool. It's like, if you think something like MMA or like jujitsu is like, uh, it's like chess, but if you fuck up, you, <laughs> you get choked out. This is like, if you, it's the same thing. It's like chess, but if you fuck up, you lose your money. It's really, it's really cool. So anyway, after I, um, after I did that, I, uh, I must've been, I don't know. I was probably like 17 or something like that at 16, 17. And, uh, I had nothing to do. I, I think I had one of the worst summers that I can possibly imagine. Cause it was right around the time that I was graduating from, um, high school. And I was like, what do I do? And I, I was doing anything. So I, I was like, I just started reading or going to Reddit, all this type of stuff at the time. Like, um, people were talking about like new year's resolutions and like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. That's not when you graduate school, but at least I, I ran across it somehow. But I was like, you know what? Well, maybe an activity I can get into is like weightlifting, you know, like powerlifting, like do something physical. Cause I'm always just inside doing nothing. So I started going to the gym a lot and, uh, that was really good. I got into powerlifting, and uh, as anyone knows about powerlifting, uh, you know you just injure yourself <laughs> immediately. Uh, but that, you know that was it. And like over that summer, I was just going to the gym, but there was like there was like that was it. I was just going to the gym, and you can only go to the gym for like an hour and a half, two hours a day. And like, what the fuck are you gonna do up besides that? So I'd come home, and I'd just be just be miserable. I was like, I have nothing to do. Like, this sucks. So I was just kind of going through summer, hanging out with friends and that type of thing. No idea what I wanted to accomplish. And so um, it, it was kind of it was kind of shitty. Like, you know, I was like, I kept thinking, should I go back to poker? So I should go back to this. Could I get into something? And just nothing was really working right. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just go to university, you know, because that's the obvious thing. So I applied to uh, earlier that year, even I applied to um, UBC and I applied to uh, UVic. And so UBC is the University of British Columbia. It's in Vancouver. It's a really, really good university. And I was like, well, I want to go into engineering and then do materials engineering because I, th I thought that was cool. Like, I, <laughs> I like materials. And so uh, I applied and they wrote back and they were like, hey, guess what? Guess what? Um, so here's the deal. Your grades are fine. Uh, you've passed all the admission requirements. That's good. Good for you. Being responsible in, uh, in high school, taking all the classes you need to do. That was good. Getting good grades. You are, uh, you are welcome to, uh, come to this university. Just kidding. You're not because you don't speak. <laughs> you don't not that you don't speak. You did not take a grade 10 language. And I was like a grade 10 language. Are you serious? And they're like, yes, well, actually anyone who lives in this province is required to take a grade 10 language to order in order to attend this university. And I had so many questions because I was like, wait, I'm taking materials engineering and you're saying I need to know how to count to a hundred in French. And they're like, or Japanese. <laughs> and I was like, are you, are you kidding me? And they're like, well, you know, this only applies to people in BC. It's actually like a provincial requirement. If someone comes in from a different province, it, it, it they don't need it. And I was like, this 
is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. You can go, go, go fucking shove your application requirements, you, you know. And so then I was like, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go live in France for five months. <laughs> so I did. So I went to live in France. I moved to France <laughs> and lived there for five months in order to spite UBC. And so while I was there, I uh, took a French course. I, I now have reasonably okay French. And uh, I had a great time. I met all these people from, you know, Latin America, from Asia, from Europe, and it was good. I, it was a very, it was a very good growth experience. I talked about it in my most recent video. So, uh, you know, go take, go take a look at that. Um, at any rate, so I was there for five or six months, and <laughs> I was there for five or six months. I come back to Canada uh, because I thought I was going to live there because I actually have European citizenship. Uh, and so I was like, maybe I'll just move here just to just really put the nail in the coffin, just really stick one to the, the shitty educational institutes of British Columbia. But uh, anyway, I came back because I, I kind of didn't like it that much. It turns out if you go live in another country, you start realizing all the stuff that you took for granted back at home. So I came back. And uh, let me let me look at my notes so I can actually remember what I've done with my life. Uh, oh, that's right. So I came back and it was still uh, it was the next year and it was about uh springtime and so i wasn't in school and it was coming up to summer and so um i had nothing to do and i'd just come back and i got a uh, a phone call from uh, sam my friend sam that i mentioned earlier and he said uh oh uh, hey oh hey jamie um so uh, do, you, do you want a job and i was like oh not really but what is it and he was like yeah so i'm working at this uh souvenir store and um like, they're looking for another person. Like, do you want to come? And I was like, oh, yeah, not really, but I will. So I go down. I walk downtown, and I meet this guy. And this guy's, like, who's running the souvenir store. And he's like, uh, all right, so, uh, hey, uh, welcome. Uh, Jamie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, what, kind of, uh, what kind of job experience do you have uh, prior to this? You know, like, have you worked retail before? And I was like, uh, no. And he was like, okay, right, right, right. So, like, what other kind of jobs have you have you had? And I was like, I, I did landscaping for a month once. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, anyway, you seem like a good kid. Do you want to come work? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I had a job. I had a summer job. And uh, I don't really want to linger on this story too long because, anyway, not the greatest experience of all time. I talk about this to Sam pretty frequently because it really just stuck in our minds, you know, for some reason, I was like, Sam, do you remember that year that we worked at the souvenir store? And he's like, fuck, dude, that was a rough time, man. Like, do you remember we had to put, go in the dungeon and like fold the shirts and then bring the shirts up and then like do this. And like, we were always working, even though there's no work to do, we had to work. And it was like, Jesus, like, man, imagine spending a year like that again. And then someone else always reminds us that it's like, you guys worked there for two and a half months. And we're like, there's no way. There's no way that we were there for two and a half months. And they're like, no, it was a summer seasonal shop. It was only open for like three months. And we were like, nah, 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 you're definitely wrong. <laughs> definitely wrong. And then I go look at my paycheck and it was like, you know, $2,000 or some shit. And I was like, oh yeah, maybe that was right. Yeah, maybe that was right. So anyway, that was bad. But what I learned from that was that I didn't want to work for someone else, uh, especially in a souvenir store, but particularly didn't want to work for someone else. So at the end of that summer, went to university. Um, I went to the local university, which is the University of Victoria, which is a good university, and I took engineering. So I, the first year of engineering for anyone going to university here 
is uh, um, general. You just take sciences. I, you have to take a lot of courses. I think I took 12 courses that first year. But they're like computer science, they're math, they're math, they're math, they're computer science, <laughs> they're physics, physics, chemistry, chemistry, statics, uh, engineering, technical writing, and some other one. You know, making a robot or some shit. And so it sucked, right? But uh, <clears throat> you, you'd have to take that stuff, and then based on your grades, you're allowed to choose a different engineering to specialize in. And I wanted to go into software engineering. So, But at any rate, I started, and I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I'll just become Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates <laughs> with my engineering degree. And so anyway, I start, turns out, near the end of the first semester, which is, you know, three months in, I'm like, God, this sucks. This really sucks, man. There's so much homework. Everyone here is kind of weird. <laughs> no offense to the engineers in chat, I'm sure. Uh, I was like, I don't know, dude. And I was like, you know what? But like, what else am I going to do? There's nothing else I can do. So I thought, you know what? Maybe if I learn the concepts and explain them in a YouTube video, that would help motivate me to, to learn the material. And so that's what I did. And the very first video I made was one called uh, Calculus in 20 Seconds. Um, it was originally going to be Calculus in 20 Minutes because I was going to actually learn calculus. It turns out that I, I that wasn't me. I realized that there's so many other videos that are just done perfectly by people with like, you know, bachelor's degrees or master's in mathematics that I was like, what am I doing? And so I just made a joke. Just made a, I made a fucking joke. Uploaded to YouTube. You can check this out. It was uploaded, I think, on December 7th, which is right, you know, exam season. And uh, I posted it on a subreddit called YouTube Haiku. And YouTube Haiku was videos for, uh, sorry, videos that are under 30 seconds long. And so I posted it there. I went to sleep. I woke up. And it turns out that someone cross-posted it to r slash videos. And it hit the front page on both of those subreddits. And the video had 300,000 views when I woke up. And I was like, holy shit. I am going to get a call from Ellen at any moment. And I'm still waiting. But it was still, it was a good start nonetheless. It was a good start nonetheless. So then I was like, well, I'll just do this again. And I made a similar video. Not quite as good, but it got maybe 100,000, 120,000 views. And then I was like, you know what? I got to live up to the casually explained name. So I made Absolute Hot. And I'm telling you, dude, that was, an ab that was an absolute banger, dude. Natalie Dormer did not let me down. Front page of Reddit, 400, 500,000 views. And I probably had 10 or 20,000 subscribers after three videos. And I was like, holy shit. This might be something. This could be something. And I made, uh, then I made Casually Explained Evolution, which is an idea I had for a long time. 500,000 views. Another 20, 30,000 subscribers. And I was like, holy shit. Th is this actually, ha am, I, am I doing something here? So I'd go to school because I was in the second semester. I'd go to school, get all my work done. I'd skip every class that wasn't mandatory. I'd just, you know, go look up Khan Academy or something. And I, I'd do all the homework I had to do. And then on the weekends and then late at night, I would just like bang out videos. And I was like, man, I've, I've made like four really successful videos in a row. Like, this is fucking it. And then I made another video and like no one watched it. <laughs> it was trash. It got like 30,000 views or 20,000, not 30,000 views, way less than that. 10,000 views, 15,000 views. And I was like, <gasps> and so I just kept going on this 
thing where it was like one video would hit, one video wouldn't hit, one video would hit, two videos would not hit, two videos would hit. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it or like what's going on. And then I made uh, Is She Into You? And Is She Into You? Like it came to me because I was just hanging out with Jimmy and Jimmy, again, a, a regular stream personality and, and uh, a very, very close friend that you'll become familiar with if you ever listen to a lot of these. And uh, he... Uh, he was in a situation where he's like talking about this girl that he's literally been, I I don't want to, I don't want to ruin his story, but, uh, you know, imagine dating someone for eight months and being like, yeah, dude, like I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about asking her out on a date. And it's like, are you serious? Like we thought you were, we thought you, everyone thought you guys were dating for like, for like, like a year. Are you fucking serious? Like, (laughs) what? And so I was like, this gives me an idea (laughs) to exploit Jimmy's love life. (laughs) for youtube views so i ran home and i was it was like you know 3 a.m and we were just like you know out doing something so then i just fell asleep woke up made the video in like four hours boom it was out is she into best video i've ever made there it is (laughs) you can see in the bottom right of the first frame dedicated to jimmy that's the that's the the payment that he gets for making my whole career So, so at any rate that was it. At that point, I think I ended up getting me up to 300, 400,000 subscribers. And at that point, we were closing in on the end of uh, my second semester. And so at the end of my second semester, I enrolled in summer classes, but I was like, mm. I was really thinking about dropping out because I was like, you know what? I could probably afford to move out. I could do this all the time. I don't even need to go to school. And uh, I talked about it to my dad. And my dad was actually like, yeah, dude, because he has a crazy story himself. Like, maybe we can get into that one time. But he basically left home when he was young. He's sort of much older. He's baby boomer generation type thing. He left home when he was like 17 and then like traveled across Canada and then built a boat off a library book. <laughs> then sailed the world off of a, a, a boat that he built. So he was like, you know what? I think you should go for it, Jamie. And I was like, thanks, dad. And that was great. And then my mom was like, obviously not a fan. And so uh, I, uh, at any rate, I was, I decided to drop out. I did a little bit of those summer courses, but then I dropped out. I moved out and uh, I've been doing the YouTube situation ever since. And uh, it was just been a very good experience, linear growth, really had some good progress. And then it got to a point after maybe a year and a half where, you know, every month I would get 6 million views <clears throat> total. Uh, 6 million view- views total, something like that, 50,000 subscribers every month. And I was like, surprisingly enough, like, I was like, what am I, like, what am I trying to do? And it's like, I moved out. I was financially independent. I lived by myself. I could basically make my own schedule the way that I wanted to. And I was in a situation where I was like, shit, like, I have like no motivation. Cause I was like, besides just maintaining this, what am I trying to what am I trying to do? And then so so for maybe six months, I was like, God, what do, what do I do? Like, I, I like, don't get me wrong. I was very happy to be there. Very, you know, grateful to be in that situation. But I was like, wow, I got out of all the things that I didn't want. Like, say, I wanted, didn't want to be in school, wanted to live by myself, wanted to be financially independent, did that. What do I do now? And I couldn't figure it out. And so... I was in this spot where I was like, well, maybe I just make more videos. Do I make less videos? Do I live that CGP gray lifestyle where I make a video every six months and start a podcast? <laughs> but uh, I, did, I, I didn't know. And so for six months, I was just like, what the, sh- what do I do? I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I had no idea. 
And it took me a long time. And then I, what I eventually slowly managed to piece together, I just, I just read a lot. I just read so much about historical figures and writers and people who've been through shit in their own life. And I was like, man, I want to know everything that I could know. I want to know about how people are motivated. I want to know how people think. I want to know what makes people happy. I want to know all this. So I just started reading and absorbing everything that I could. And uh, it didn't help at all. <laughs> it was fucking useless. <laughs> so, well, I mean, maybe it helped a bit, but at, at any rate. Um, so I uh, eventually I was like, well, you know what I need to do? I need to think, like, how can I set some goals for myself that would be worth achieving? You know, what is something that I could reach for that would be significant? And I was like, this is definitely a good piece. You know, this is a good idea. I should definitely have these big goals that I'm aiming at. And so I started thinking about that and I was like, oh yeah, okay, maybe like, what if I decided I wanted like 10 million subscribers? Like, what would I have to do to get there? What I have to do this? Like, what if I could like write a book? What if I could do, make some merch, you know, like that type of thing. And like nothing really stuck. I was like, ah, I'm not really sure. And I started just asking myself, okay, well, what is something small that you could do that you would like to do? And so that's where I came up with the idea of streaming. Actually, before I came up with streaming, I actually thought making a podcast and making a new show involving me in front of a camera, hashtag face reveal. Um, And I was like, I could do this. And this could be a new type of content that I make. And I got really excited. I had some people that I was talking to that I was going to work with. And then I made the first episode of this thing that I wanted to make. And I was like, this takes just as much time as my other videos. I can only pick one or the other. And then I realized like, well, it's one or the other. It's, it's definitely going to be casually explained. There's no, there's no way I could choose anything else. And so that whole thing went into remission. And I was like, I'm just going to keep making these videos, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I can go to the gym more. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can get a hobby. I get a girlfriend? Nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just kidding. Uh, but uh, uh, so eventually I got to this point. Where I was like, okay, well, what is it that I can do that I would actually enjoy doing? What is a small thing I could do that I would like to do? And so I said, I was like, you know, I, I can start streaming. You know, I can start streaming. That'd be kind of cool. I've always liked video games. I like playing video games. I'm good at video games. I think that's a good idea. So I started streaming. And uh, I did that. I've done been doing that in the last four months or something like that. And, um, you know, at the very beginning, there was like 10 viewers. Then I tweeted about it, and then there was 20 viewers. And then I made a YouTube video about it, and there was 100 viewers. And I was like, mm, all right, you know what I need to do? I need to actually make a reason why people are going to show up and watch. And I thought to myself, you know what I could do? These ideas that I had previously of doing like, you know, a face reveal, doing the stuff in front of the camera. I had this idea for a show called What Makes It Good, which I mentioned before. And it ended up being too much work, so I didn't do it. And what I realized was like, you know what I could do? I could make a podcast. Like I also plan to do a podcast. I was like, I could do a podcast. I could do it live. I can take the recording, interact with the chat, which I haven't done yet. I'm going to do it in a sec. (laughs) And uh, put that on YouTube and then sort of make those audiences merge back and forth. And that's a good idea. And then the, uh, the, what makes it good sort of thing. I was like, you know, if I do it live, you know, I can, I can kind of just do it as I go along, edit it down to be shorter. And I think this would be a really cool thing. And the inspiration I got from it, from it, uh, sorry, the inspiration I got for it was from an old streamer back on justin.tv 
a guy named Sean Plot. Day nine, he had a show called the Day Nine Daily that went for an hour and a half. And that was an hour and a half of StarCraft II strategy. Where he would take professional players, analyze their replays for an hour and a half with a particular theme, and then he'd upload it on YouTube. And he he had one of the most popular streams at that time, back before Twitch TV was Twitch TV. And I was like, you know what? I can do that with online content. I'm going to tie it in with the podcast. And guess what? Here I am. Here I am. Let's give it a fucking go. Let's give it a go. And so that's that's the story of my uh, I don't know everything. That's the story of everything. How I got how I got here, what I'm doing now, and uh, and that's that. So at this point, um, what I want to do is uh, go through a few questions that I have uh, taken from Discord, the Casually Explained Discord. If you're interested in joining. And also from uh, a couple from Reddit, because I asked this ages ago when I first started um, the idea of having a podcast, and I never followed up. Take a few questions from Reddit, um, but all the future episodes, I'm going to be taking questions from Discord. uh, But then I'm going to take some questions and comments from chat. So I'm going to go through these, and then we're going to make our way to the live chat and see if you guys have any questions that you want to ask me. So let's just uh, take a look. I have them written down here. <clears throat> and these are these are uh, these are some uh, genuine questions here that people have uh, been asking. So let's start here. So this is one from Reddit that I asked, you know, just because I wanted to get a few of these questions in here from uh, Me, who says, as a YouTuber who has called vlogging the YouTube endgame, what is your opinion on the increasingly personal relationship between creators and viewers? And the reason I chose this question is because I think it ties in pretty well with this theme of the podcast. And uh, what I think is quite interesting is um, I have made a joke before about vlogging being the YouTube endgame. But uh, the theme that I think is quite interesting is that people are really interested in people that they, you know, watch their content. They see them make a bunch of stuff like say celebrities, like take someone like um, uh, Post Malone. It's like he has really popular music. And then GQ comes out with a video that's like, take a look at Post Malone's jewelry collection. And that gets like 6 million views. Because people are like, yeah, what does Post Malone have as jewelry? And I want to see him talk about it. And I think there's a very interesting relationship between um, the art, you know, the the art. I was going to say art for like musicians. But like say the content that you make in terms of YouTubers, the content that you make, (laughs) shit we're doing is certainly not art. (laughs) But you, uh, the, the content that you make, and uh, then people's interest in the content and therefore you as the person who created it. And I think there's two facets to that. And the thing with the vlogging that I find quite interesting is it, it's so much, it combines those two exactly. It's saying, this is the person that I am and the person that I am is also the content that I make. But you also see that the best vloggers manufacture situations. So, you know, sh- shout out to uh, <laughs> certain forests in Japan and, and shit. But, uh, ugh. You know, that type of thing. You know, Casey Neistat going to a water park. You know, you're there to watch the water park, but you're there to watch Casey Neistat and buds in the water park. And so for me, like, I think it's pretty interesting because, like, say this idea of a podcast, podcast in general, and uh, say maybe the other show that I want to do, I think it's quite interesting because it's like, to me, 
making the YouTube content I, d- I do, the casually explained stuff, is me being quote unquote creative. You know, it's me making some work. It's like a, it's like an author writing a book. And then that's one, that's one sort of uh, pile. And then there's people who read that or look at it, look at it or watch it. And they're like, I'm interested in the person who actually made this. And then they can go to this second section, which is say podcasts and other, other genres of things. And that's kind of like the, uh, the, the difference between like the Simpsons and like Matt Groening or however you say his name, you know, it's like the person who made it versus the person, the versus the thing that they've actually made. And so I think that's quite interesting, but, um, I think that's only going to get bigger as time goes along. Like the things that people make and who they are become more and more similar. All right, so we have a question from uh, Max Planet from here in the uh, here in the chat. I've seen him type uh, "oof" just a second ago. Uh, in regards to not revealing your face to viewers, do you do it because you find it helps keep your personal life separate from your online persona? And to be honest, the only reason why I don't have my face in any YouTube videos is because there's no reason to. Um, if I had a good reason to, like I was mentioning before, you know, maybe I want to make some content where I'm in it, uh, and I need to be because it's like a skit or something funny, then I do it. If I got invited on the Joe Rogan podcast, H3H2 podcast, I'd do it 100%. Um, but making the cartoons, like, I don't need to be in it. And I don't want to go plastering my face into it because I feel like kind of ruins it, you know? Uh, I think uh, I don't really have any. I think some people want to have their face out there for the sake of having their face out there, and it's like, mm. No thanks. <laughs> no thanks, buddo. All right, so then we have a question from Spade, also from the chat, who is the uh, fifth biggest fan. <laughs> Self-proclaimed fifth biggest fan. Uh, when it comes to your balance of work and play, how important do you think it is to find enjoyment in what you do versus just having a job that makes you money so you can do fun shit on the side? I'm having a bit of a conflict right now in deciding whether I want to find a job that pays super well or that I will like a lot and be average income. Coding-related field. Um, and look, it's like, obviously, I'm not going to be there telling you to uh, do one thing or the other. I think uh, it's up to you to decide that, especially given the fact that, you know, I was kind of like, yo, fuck this shit. I'm out. I'm making YouTube videos. Um, but I think what you can really ask yourself is what I was thinking uh, recently. Look, let's let's put it this way. I think it's absolutely the most important thing that you prioritize something that you enjoy doing and that you're actually going to you know, make it through the day feeling happy about it because ultimately your job is most of your day. Um, at the same time, you could also say, well, do I want to take a job at Google where I'm kind of low on the ladder and I'm just coding and I'm not enjoying that much? Uh, or do I want to take a job at a startup where it's like high risk, high return? Maybe, you know, I could be the biggest in the world or like maybe I'll just, you know, fail and drop out. I don't know. Like when you're getting those type of uh, um Asking yourself those types of questions, like those are hard. Those are hard questions and there's no right or wrong answer. Like you can take the high risk, high return. You can take the low risk, slowly build your career over a period of time. Um, I I think it's a, it's a hard balance to play, but it's like you need to have a strategy in place is all there is to it. You know, if you're going to go into a job where you have that high, like say, say something like YouTube, where it's like people gen generally speaking have pretty good reimbursement for doing youtube even with patreon and stuff too if you have a patreon man people make a lot of money doing youtube but in three years it could be gone so if you're going to take this kind of uh you know burn the candle at both ends type career slash job uh make sure you have an exit plan like a a way to know when it's not working out anymore and you can go do something else 
Um, and same with if you want to take a very conventional career route, um, have a plan for progressing and have an idea of like, well, the job's going to suck at the beginning, but I think it's going to get better as time goes on. So when you join, you need a plan of how you're going to ascend those ranks and get those jobs that you want to have. And then at a certain point saying like, well, it's not working. You know, maybe I need to improve my skill set. Maybe I need to go back to school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think that's the way that you want to look at it. Just have those contingencies in, in place, but commit to something with a with a plan. I think that's the way to way to go and uh, not stay in there. The You know, it's a sinking ship or whatever it may be. And especially if you're young, which you are young because I know, <laughs> uh, then it's like, look, anything you do is just going to be a great experience. There's there's nothing you could do now that you're not going to be able to recover from and learn from, and it's going to ultimately be beneficial in the long run. Um, so <laughs> we have a question from uh, Mess Express, who is the uh, keeper of the questions, regular of the chat, mod of the chat, who... Uh, has her own discord channel dedicated to her questions. Uh, cause I think she writes them down and just takes them from some book somewhere, but maybe not <laughs> at least she spends some time figuring them out. I'm pretty sure. And she, uh, she reminded me to answer the question, how tall are you? Because that's probably the most que- common question I get. And my answer to that is, uh, go to casually explained 10 pieces of life advice, timestamp one minute 20. And that, that that'll be your answer. Um, okay, so we have some more questions from Mess Express that I'm just going to power through. Uh, do you have plans for after your YouTube? <laughs> do you have plans for after your YouTube career eventually fails? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do cam shows and audiobooks. Okay, so if your your house caught on fire and you only had time to save one item, what would that one thing be and why? Uh. I would I would save my hard drive because I am not I am not losing all of my videos <laughs> and by videos I mean porn <laughs> they, they do not torrent themselves okay okay last question uh, what does an average day look like for you uh, bleak <laughs> no uh, usually I wake up I've been trying to wake up earlier I've been trying to wake up by like nine a.m. used to sleep in a lot and it was just bad uh, so I usually wake up at nine a.m. Uh, I uh, I wake up. Have some coffee. I, I go on periods where I kind of uh, have less coffee or more coffee, depending on my tolerances. Tolerances. But I wake up, have some coffee, spend an hour or two working on a video. Then I go to the gym, come back from the gym. Uh, usually either do a little bit of work or just like clean the house or do get groceries or whatever. Just some random shit. And then I stream from five to eight most days of the week. And then after eight, I just kind of, I don't know. <laughs> it varies. Sometimes I do more work, but usually I just... Uh, you know, do just, I don't know, do, do something else, <laughs> I, I, whatever, uh, you can use your imagination, uh, all right, so then we have, uh, we only have a couple more questions from here, and then I'm going to take some questions from chat, uh, Tetrax says, if you didn't discover slash make it on YouTube, do you think you would have still enjoyed the path your life was headed for at that point? Well, this is kind of related to the coding question that was a little bit earlier, uh, or, you know, what to do with your job and that type of stuff. And to me, it was like, my plan was like, even when I was thinking about dropping out of school, it's like, I wanted to make sure I had good enough grades that I could get into any engineering that I wanted, if that were the, uh, the way that I was going. So that required like a 75% average. And I think I finished my first year with like a 77% average or something like that. So I was like, okay, I'm good. That's what I aim for. That's good. And, uh, look, my plan the whole time was like, I want to go into software engineering. So I knew how to program so I could make software and then 
never work at a job. <laughs> so I could be, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, or uh, I'd rather not be him. I'd rather be more uh, Evan Spiegel. Shout out to Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snapchat, now dating Miranda Kerr. Dude, good for him, dude. <laughs> living that life. Living. The, I think he's a bit more of a jock. He's like a computer science jock. So respect to him. <clears throat> um, all right. So we have just a couple more questions. Uh, Max Planet asks, uh, worst and best parts about visiting France. Also, did you find out uh, you're prepared enough with your French speaking skills or did you have to rely on English much? Well, that was my problem because when I went to France, I spoke no French at all. I spoke zero French. And uh, when I went there, I decided in my head for some weird reason that I would only speak French. I don't know why. I I mean, unless it was like someone in my class who spoke English and I just speak and, and everyone spoke English. So I just speak English to them. But when it came to going in the streets, talking to people, I was like, I'm living here. So I have to speak French. And I was just in a complete wreck. I was so anxious and so stressed all the time. And my French was not very good. And I went back not that long ago to France with um, I, I met Sam there and, and met a friend that I had there. And I just spoke English like all the time. And then occasionally when I knew how to say something in French, I just say it in French. And it was great. Um, I wish I would have done that more. Like, for some reason, I just thought I could only speak French when I was there. And it was a huge mistake. And I just didn't get to experience it as much as I could have. But the uh, worst and best parts about visiting France? Well, the the roads are terrible. Like, the, I mean, I didn't <laughs> I didn't drive. But it's like I could have just... You could just die at any point. Because people are just running you over. The traffic lights are terrible. Food delivery is terrible. Uh and uh i mean just like the whole infrastructure of the city is built for like a thousand years ago because it literally is from like a thousand years ago or something like that 500 years ago i don't know and uh so that's like the whole way the city is laid out there's no air conditioning it's really weird uh but the best parts were probably uh i mean the food's obviously pretty good unless you're not you know i didn't want to spend much money so i just ate baguettes and stuff those are also very cheap cheese was good cheese is amazing wine was very cheap very good saying you get two liters of sangria for two dollars two euros um <clears throat> being i think the best part was being able to travel anywhere else you wanted in europe for like a 50 dollar return 50 euro return plane flight it was amazing you go i've been to so many cool places in europe and it was so cheap uh that was great all right so we have just uh one more question from the Discord, which is from Fool and Granules, who says, when it comes to working with others, what factors come into play that affect whether collaboration happens, i.e. general reluctance, incompatible branding, different creative visions, similar tone or subject, localness, so locality or distance. Uh, and uh, basically, when it comes to YouTube collaborations, all that it really takes is two people who kind of think each other makes similar content. They'd have good, you know, they have similar viewership uh, and they want to work together. That's about it. Um, I'm part of a discord that has a bunch of some really popular YouTube creators in it. And, uh, you know, they're constantly just asking each other. They want to collaborate. You can really imagine it like if all these different YouTubers are just like a high school class of kids. And you're like, hey, man, do you want to come make a video with me? And they're like, no, I don't like you. You know, it's exactly the same thing. They're like, oh, sorry, I'm kind of busy. Or it's like, you know, you get a million views and they get 50,000 views. And they're like, hey, do you want to collaborate? And it's like, well, you're just trying to collaborate so you can get more viewers. It's like you're not really able to reciprocate, you know. So it really just comes down to what 
how much people like you, how familiar you are with them. Are you friends? Uh, and then also, if you're not that close together, it's like, do you make similar content? Do you have compatible or incompatible viewer bases? Uh, how much, like what you can really, exp- how much effort it's going to be? Like to me, I'm kind of toning down the collaborations. I never really did many, but the thing with collaborations is kind of lame is that usually the way that people do it are like, hey, by the way, it'll be like 30 seconds of content just kind of plugged into the middle of someone else's video. It'd be like a miniature. It won't be a crossover. It'll be like implanting a piece of your content into their content. And sometimes it's kind of novel, sometimes kind of fun, but to get that 30 seconds of content takes like two minutes worth of content work if you were to make your own video. It's it's really hard to kind of do that right. And it's stressful. So um, I think the best collaborations are ones where it's like two people with different skill sets, but similar viewer bases work together to make something they couldn't have made without each other's help. And those are the, the best in my opinion. But um, as far as collaborations go, there's also a lot to be said for, you know, make you guys have similar viewer bases, but your audience might not know about their audience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a way we can work together? And it really just comes down to the same way that you'd work together. Think about it in high school. Hey, get yourself into groups. Who do you want to work with? And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. All right. So I think that is all the questions I have chosen for this uh, particular episode. So at this point, I would like to open it up to the chat and we'll take maybe 20 minutes of questions from the chat, Um, which once again, if uh, you're not, if you're watching this on YouTube, then um, head on over to twitch.tv slash casually explained and you can view this live at 7 p.m. Pacific um, on Thursdays. All right, so let's see what we have in here. (laughs) Spade Green says, casually explained, when it comes to dating and relationships, are you actively looking for a partner? And at what point do you brag about your YouTube channel? Yo, that's honestly the YouTube channel nail in the coffin. Like not, (laughs) I have to say I had a a pretty awkward experience. I went to a a sort of, I guess, a party with a, a group of friends. And it was like, you know, a friend of a friend's party. We didn't know anyone there. We go in and this, uh, I was, I was hanging out with Sam and this girl walks up to us and was like, Hey, how are you guys doing? Cause you could tell, I, I imagine she could tell that we're just kind of hanging out, not knowing anyone. And we eventually started talking about like what you're doing, like what, what you're studying or if you're at school. And she was like, Hey, what do you do, Sam? And Sam was like, I do, uh, I study computer science. And she's like, all right, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> and then asked me, cause <laughs> poor Sam. <laughs> No one's ever interested in engineering and computer design. And then she asked me, she was like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, uh, and I'm so awkward about it because like, I don't want to ruin the YouTube channel because I feel like the YouTube channel is so much, so much, so much better than I am. So I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to tarnish that reputation. But I'm like, oh, I make YouTube videos. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, what's your channel? And then I show her my, I open, I take my phone out and I search casually explain. Um, <laughs> and I open it up and I'm like, oh, I'll just show you. I just click on my channel and the first video that comes up on mobile is, is, is she into you? It fills the entire screen. So I'm at this party like, hey, I make YouTube videos, girl. Check out this video. Is she into you? Like, oh man, big yikes, dude. At any rate, she was pretty, she was kind of weirded out by it. And I didn't realize till afterwards how, how stupid that was. But then as we were leaving, she looked it up again and saw how many subscribers there were and then was really impressed. So anyway, you know, we out here, we out here. Not that hot. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. 
Uh, okay, so uh, CJ Turtle Seven says, "Casually explained, did you deadass just move to France in spite of UBC, <clears throat> despite UBC, or did you actually have a rational thinking process behind the decision?" Oh yeah, well, I just wanted to be in some completely new environment because I wasn't really having a good time where I was and had nothing to do. But it, it, honestly, the the seed that was planted was a hundred percent spiting UBC, and uh, I I did that was the when I did. Uh, when I did that little bit of landscaping, it was for my chemistry teacher in grade 12. And he told me about how he went to France when he was younger. And he said that he showed up with a, uh, a phrase book and two pairs of skis. And that was it. And I was like, that was stupid. Why did you do that, Mr. McCarthy? <laughs> and he was like, oh, I don't know. I just thought it'd be something to do. And then he's like, by the way, if you ever decide to go on a trip, a really economical food is uh, pasta and mustard and butter. And I was like, that sounds terrible. And he's like, everyone says it's terrible, but they always love it. And so I was like, well, I'll make it. It, it was fucking terrible. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> anyway, moving on. All right. Um, <clears throat> we have a question from... Uh, I guess we'll take a question from... Uh... Vidkades. Because you explained it. in one of your videos, you said you grew up in Australia. Do you miss it? And do you ever want to go back? Um, I did go back. I went back a year ago. Back to Hobart, uh, Tasmania. And it was great. Everything seemed a little bit smaller than it was before. Um, like, cause I, like, you know, literally, I was like, this place is... I, I remember these distances being much more vast. Uh, but it was great. Like the thing that's interesting about Hobart, Tasmania, is that a, a really rich guy, a guy who made like a couple billion dollars because he made this software that uh, took in you know like fifty different factors when betting on horse races, and he made a bunch of money that way along with some other various gambling things. But like smart person gambling, not not dumb person poker gambling. You know? uh, but uh, he made a bunch of money. It was worth billions of dollars, and he actually had a private art collection that he had. And he was like, you know, it'd be really cool. And I don't know if he was from Hobart or he lived there or whatever, but he's like, you know, it'd be really cool if I bought a mountain and just dug a bat cave into it and put all my art in there. And so he did. He spent like $500 million or something making Hobart into, instead of this kind of backwater, everyone makes fun of it town. He turned it into like this bustling, artistic, artisanal city that now has this, you know, new, this museum of new and old art. And all these like interesting cocktail lounges and like artisanal bars that are popping up. Those are sort of unrelated to this, you know, endeavor. But it's a much, it's much more hip and happening than it was before. That's for sure. And uh, that was really cool. And I, I liked it because it was like one guy who was like responsible for a lot of that impact. And uh, I thought that was crazy. Um, but uh, one little side note that I thought was funny. I don't. Did I even share this? Did I say this before? I don't think I shared this before. But uh, <clears throat> when I uh, moved from Australia to Canada, uh, we had this thing in grade seven or eight where a person came into our class and they were like a real extreme environmentalist type person. And they're there to educate us on environmentalism. And they were like, they were like, all right, so I want everyone to stand on this map of the world. And it was like a carpet, you know, like a fairly large carpet. And uh, they got everyone in the class to sort of stand in different spots. So I went and stood on Tasmania because that's where I was from and uh, or lived. And they were like, well, this is what happens with global warming. And they rolled the carpet up 
and they rolled the carpet up so the south part, the southern tip of South America disappeared, Antarctica disappeared, uh, the Arctic disappeared, and Tasmania and New Zealand disappeared. And then I, I was like, uh, what do you mean, like, like they're not going to disappear. Like, if water levels rise, like, the land is going to disappear equally across the entire world based on the change in water levels. And they were like, no, uh, all the lowest places and the highest places are going to get are going to disappear. So, like, the Arctic's going to be gone because it melts. And then, uh, you know, Tasmania and New Zealand is going to disappear. And I was like, hmm, this is definitely wrong. But anyway, I just, you know, obviously let it slide because I'm just a kid in class. And then later they're like, okay, well, here's another quiz. Where in the world are there temperate rainforests? And someone's like, here. And, which is true. In BC, they're, you know, in the BC, in the West Coast of North America, there's a ton of temperate rainforests. And they're like, that's, that's right. That's very good. Where is another place? And someone's like, Europe. And they're like, yeah, there are some in Europe. Yeah, fair enough. And they're like, where's the other place that there are a lot of temperate rainforests? And I knew this because I lived in Australia. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of temperate rainforests in, uh, in Australia, uh, particularly in the South. And uh, she was like, oh, no, I'm afraid that's actually wrong. There are temperate rainforests in New Zealand and in Tasmania. And I was like, oh, but Tasmania is part of Australia. And she was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and then I was like, holy shit, where have I been living? Uh, so anyway, that's when I learned that Tasmania is not actually part of Australia. All right. Um... Caspillo, casually explained, do you think you'd ever move away to a new city and live there for a long time, or are you pretty set in staying local? Well, you know, I, I, my actual plan when I went to France was legitimately to not leave. I was going to go to university. That was my plan. And eventually it just fell apart But because uh, I didn't like it there. But, uh, yeah, I thought about it. Like, I mean, if there's a situation where I, you know, moved to New York or moved to L.A., like, I'd probably do it. Um because, like, all those types of things, like, when you're given, like, an opportunity, like, this is obviously if an opportunity were to arise for whatever reason. If you're given an opportunity, especially if you're young, you know, and you can just come back if, if something goes wrong, like, it's so, I think it's so good to take those chances and give it a go. Because, like, I would just regret it forever, you know. If I have an opportunity and someone's like, hey, do you want to come to L.A.? Do you want to come do this project? And I'm like, this is a promising project. And I go... And say it falls through, I just come back. It's not that big of a deal. Lost some time, maybe lost some money, or who who knows. But I, I honestly just like living with regret is a rough thing. So any any type of time that comes up, that's where I'd that's where I'd kind of uh, lean. Who's your favorite porn star? That would be myself. Uh, what are your thoughts on Exerbia? Saw a comment of yours in one of his videos. Yeah, Exerbia. I haven't watched Exerbia's stuff for a while, but. I don't know he's like uh so he's so cynical and so sarcastic i think it's good i enjoy his content uh i don't really have much more to say about it than that i enjoy his content i don't watch all of it but if he has a popular video i'll check it out um <laughs> burnt lasagna 1355 says at casually explained you come off as someone who has their shit together how do you get anywhere close to that? And what are your life tips? Being good at deception. <laughs> you just, you just, you just trick them. You, know, you live your life like it's Facebook, like an Instagram post. It's easy peas. Uh, well, okay, hang on. Let me see if I have any actual advice. 
I mean, my only actual advice for like getting your shit together is um, setting goals for yourself and really committing to them in a way where you say, this is something that I want to accomplish that would make my life better. And then you make a plan to do it, to execute, and then you try to do it. And if you aren't able to do it, say to yourself, okay, well, what were the hard parts? What were the parts that I didn't like? What were the parts that I did like? What the parts that were easy or not easy? And then how can I make those difficult parts more manageable? So as an example, like I think my favorite example is when people like want to lose weight. And it's like, oh, you know, sometimes the solution is like, oh, you know what? You, you get like real strong cravings for certain foods, really strong cravings for like sugary things. And it's like, try a ketogenic diet. 100%. Other people, uh, they don't have strong cravings for food, but it's just like, uh, they're kind of just like not very strong, not very in shape. It's like get on a weightlifting program, you know, and it's very important that especially too, you might be like, well, I want to go to the gym and get in shape and like lift weights and like be stronger. But it's like I can never get the motivation. And it's like, well, what you can try doing is instead of going, trying to, you know, get hella jacked go and try to lift more weight than you did last time. And that changes the, the, the goal and it changes the motivation system. And that's the thing. Like almost everyone I know who loves going to the gym, they go because they're trying to beat personal records, not because they're trying to look fucking yoked, you know? That's like the byproduct. And um, yeah, if you ever have something, like if you have a goal that you're trying to achieve and you know to make your life better and you're running constantly into walls, it's like really stop and analyze and say, well, okay, what is it that I could do that would address this particular issue and uh, do your best to slowly progress your way through those problems. And I think one of the most important things too is like be patient. Like sometimes things that you think in a perfect world would take three months, like because the world's not perfect, it'll take you three, five, 10 years. Same thing when people are always like, oh, what are you going to do to, uh, how do you find your passion? And it's like, well, you know, you're 18, like (laughs) fucking... Try some shit and you maybe you'll figure it out by the time you're 30, you know? Uh, Heartgun says, casually explain, how long does it take you for, to, uh, for you to come up with your content? Pretty much everything you say is actually true, yet it's funny to hear it said out loud because no one likes to acknowledge it. Oh, um, well, yeah, thanks. Um, most of my videos take about 40 hours to 100 hours to make. Uh, I spend most of the time writing them. Um... But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just try to like think of a topic that people might like or that I'm interested in. And then I just start writing about it and you never really know where you're going to go or where things are going to come from, but you pretty much always draw from experience and, um, that type of stuff. One thing that's kind of tricky, you know, from my perspective is, uh, like for me, I just, I, I would consider myself like, uh, you know, I make YouTube videos, but it's like comedy writing. And that's very different from like a comedian, like a comedian who goes up on stage and, and does that stuff like most of their work is like performance like they have to perform and that's the hard part um i mean coming up with material is also the hard part but for me all i have to do is really come up with material i don't have to perform it because i can try a hundred times in a recording get the right delivery or whatever um so if you're if you're if you're the kind of person who has to go up on stage and like do it and do it a thousand times you get an idea of what's good and what's not good based on how people react like if they laugh or boo or whatever um and so for me like the way that i do it is i you know read a lot of 
I have to read a lot of information based on something that I'm researching, um, depending what it is, or it's something that I have to have done a lot of, you know, I have to pick a topic that I know pretty well because I need to know how an audience is going to react. Like if, if you're making a joke and the point of the joke is for it to be relatable, then you have to know that it's going to be relatable. And in order to know that it's like, you have to have lived it. You have to know that your friends would agree with it. You have to know that like, maybe you've read a hundred posts on Reddit that all say the same thing. And then you know that it's a generally, you know, accepted type of thing. And then I would imagine myself, like if I told this joke, would people laugh in, in, in a group? If, um, a comedian, if Louis CK told this joke, would, would people laugh? If Bill Burr told this joke, would people laugh? And it's almost like this, you know, you try to be empathetic and imagine yourself in those positions. Uh, and that's the way that you kind of narrow down and figure out um, what type of content you want to make. And to be honest, uh, I have probably 100, 200 Word documents that have like one paragraph in them where I start a topic, write something I'm excited about, and then give scrap it because I have nothing more to say. And then I sometimes I go back to it, sometimes I don't. So, you know, it's not like this is the next video and this is the next video and this is the next video. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. All right. I'm just going to take a couple more questions. Um, <laughs> giraffster, resident uh, giraffster. I saw a couple of people ask this. Have you found any porn of your stick figure? If not, would you want to? Drowser, I don't even need to answer that one. <laughs> Why would you ask that, dude? <laughs> but uh, yeah, the answer is yes. So Max Planet says, uh, can you explain, starting a new job Monday in software development, funnily enough, do you have any tips for getting over new person nerves anxiety? Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. Get that big job. Um, look, I, I can't really tell you too much on new person nerves anxiety. The only thing I can say is like, if you're starting a new job, like one thing that's very important is don't go in there acting like you're the smartest, coolest, most knowledgeable person ever go in and play your role in a very charitable and good hearted way. You're the new guy. So go in there and be authentic and explain the stuff that you know and don't know ask legitimate questions that you're really curious about and then treat people like hey man i'm really excited to hear here to work with you i heard that you did this did that do a bit of research ask some questions that you think are good questions and then just like do your job really well and that's all you can do you know i think it's interesting one thing that's really helpful to think is like um there's two types of anxiety one anxiety is like you're fearful that something is going to go wrong and the other one is you're excited that of the potential that you could have like excitement and uh, nervousness are very similar feelings. And if you can try to lean towards that excitement for, man, this is a great opportunity that helps get you in a bit of a mental state for that. All right. Last couple of Equis Jones. Uh, CJ Turtle says, uh, can you explain, do you suffer from crippling anxiety every time you put out a video in fear it won't be funny or have you built up confidence? Yeah, it's actually exactly that. I used to be so stressed out about, uh, um, sorry, I'm just checking the, uh, I have no idea what music is playing. Hopefully it's not weird music. Uh, I used to be so stressed out. I'd be like, couldn't sleep, stay up late, upload the video. And then like, I'd see on Reddit, it would get downvoted immediately to zero and the like to dislike ratio on YouTube would be worse than usual. And I'd be like, I'd be so tempted to just delete the video. And then I just wouldn't, you know, I was eventually I got to the point where 
it was the type of thing where I could make a video that in that was like an eight out of ten, but I could also make a video that was a two out of ten. And then over time, you get the level of skill where it's like you never really have bad episodes. You just have worse episodes than other episodes. I think I forget which comedian said this, but it's like when you're like Louis C.K. or like Bill Burr level comedian, it's like you your version or like uh, Jerry Seinfeld. It's like Dave Chappelle. Your bad shows just mean that people, you know, they didn't like it that much. They're like, yeah, there's an average episode. Um, and that's kind of the point that I got to where I was like, you know what? I'm, I know when an episode is not that good and then I won't release it and I have to work on it more. So that's really what it is. Uh, Whopper 777 says, casually explain, has your work ethic improved over time? Um, n- no, but I'm better at planning things that I would enjoy doing. So if you look at my strict output of things that I'm doing over time, I think it gets better. But in terms of my actual work ethic, probably not too much. Like if you were to compare myself to two years ago, it's like I spend more time writing. I spend more time drawing. I spend more time in the gym. I spend more time streaming, obviously, and doing related things. Spend more time doing quote unquote YouTube business stuff. But I don't think my work ethic's any better. It's just the way that I start uh, organizing and handling those projects and when I'm doing them, how I schedule my day, how I organize my time is just made it more enjoyable. And maybe we can, we can go into that some other time, I think. All right. So I'll take one more question and then we're going to do VIP applications. Ooh, what is that? We'll find out. I like this one. Uh, Malithicus says, casually explain, what's your go-to alcoholic beverage? My favorite alcoholic beverage is gin and tonic. Um, besides, like aside from that, I really like, uh, okay, so I'm going to go through the different ones. So gin and tonic is my favorite one to just drink. Um, if there's a special occasion, yo, give me that champagne. That's some good shit. I'll take that. Um, I don't mind wine. I don't mind beer. And uh, if you're on a date, Here's the go-to. This is the way you do. Here's the way you do. You have a beer. You have a beer. That's the, the starter strat. Then you go to a place that has cocktails. You know what you get? French 75. That's the go-to. Everyone loves French 75. And sometimes they give you a little miniature bottle of champagne to go with it. French 75 is gin, lemon juice, um, sugar, uh, and champagne. And champagne, I mean sparkling wine because, you know, we, we, we ain't got money for that. <laughs> we ain't got money for that. So that's that's just a little pro tip for you if uh, you have someone to impress with Valentine's Day coming up, which I don't, but I you know just throw it out there in case anyone needs it. Okay, so uh, that's great. All right, well that will conclude the uh, thank you, Drafter, for doing that good uh, slow mode moderation. Thank you for anyone who tuned in to this episode. Anyone on um, YouTube is watching the VOD, or people in the chat who are listening in. And at this point in the night, what I want to do is take a look at some VIP applications. Uh, hey, oh, no Valentine? No, no, no. But that's okay, because my birthday is on February the 9th. I'm going to Las Vegas on February 15th. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Valentine's Day? Don't need it. I'll be on a plane. Nice. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Who, who knows? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, you know? Going with my brother might get married to him. Who knows? Um, all right, so we're going to take a look at VIP applications. So what VIP applications are is there's some OGs of the stream who started this tradition where people will make 
almost like resumes where they submit to me and we show them on stream and we have a democratic vote. And uh, <laughs> just reading Giraffe's comment. And uh, we have a democratic vote and the winner gets to have a VIP badge attached to their name. This is from Giraffster, expert moderator of the channel. For the introduction of the VIP applications. Hopefully weekly, VIP application competition. This is the event created on the basis of creativity. It is how I became a mod and many others. This is the first one for VIPs. How it works is casually explained, Jamie will show the applications. After that you get to vote to decide